All right. Good morning and welcome to the Blue Ridge Church of Christ here at Burley Moran Elementary School. Um, if you can hop over to Ephesians chapter 1, we'll continue uh, in our treatment of Ephesians. Our theme this year is the fullness of Christ. And so we're talking about what exactly that means. And uh, we will continue talking about what that means today. The book of Ephesians is a letter uh, written to Ephesians. Uh, It's written to people. That's why I'm a minister, because I know these things. Um, The deep, the deep truths of the verses of the scriptures Um, is a letter written to a group of folks, not unlike yourselves. And uh, the beginning of the letter uh, is we talked about it last week and we talked about what it really means to live a life uh, as a Christian. And uh, one of the things you, you notice um, as really anybody living, especially in America, is that uh, there are is one thing to know the truths of the Bible, one thing to believe them, but quite another thing to to live out those truths. And this year is going is to is a year for us as a church to really go after really not just talking about what it means to believe in Jesus, but talking about actually how to live, live transformed lives. And uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, we're going to continue what's called the thanksgiving part of the letter. Now, last week, two paragraphs, those two paragraphs from verse 3 to verse 14 is one sentence in the original language. This next part, guess what, is another long sentence. So we're going to read it here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. It says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him up at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power, dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So Ephesians chapter 115, we're going to talk about this idea of what is that exactly is the author of Ephesians praying for. He's praying for these people. And he says, I've, never, I've not stopped praying for you since I heard about your faith. And he prays for a few things, if you noticed. He prays that they may have uh, spiritual wisdom or spiritual understanding and revelation. Revelation is just another way of like saying spiritual insight. But that they can actually have spiritual understanding and wisdom. Why? So that they can know God better. In the entire first chapter of Ephesians, there's nothing in here about, I pray that you can make it to heaven one day. There's nothing in this letter, nothing actually really, maybe you could make a few verses work in the New Testament that talk about that. It is all about getting to know God now, living a life now, 
loving people now, being pure now, being holy now. And I think that is something that is exciting, but something that we, we can get excited about, but quickly run into problems with when we think about the world that we encounter, especially the Christian world. Um, one famous uh, priest said that the world is full of baptized non-Christians. Uh, people who undergo maybe the rituals of ceremony, but you, you couldn't actually tell if they were Christian. Um, and there is, a, I think, a sticking place. And even for a lot of us, as we go into that great day, as Brandon will in just a few hours, and make no mistake, that great day is a triumphant day. And Brandon's going to join us, us February folks here. I was baptized in February as well. I know some of us are some, some February uh, uh, reborn again folks uh, there. Uh, uh, rebirth days, I should say. But um, it, is a great, it is a great day, but uh, it is simply the beginning. And if you notice here, in verse 16, it says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And listen to this, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now, uh, that's the perfect tense of the word. The NIV, that's the translation from which I'm reading, has chosen to translate it in the future tense. But most translators uh, will say this is perfect tense. Well, what's perfect? The ESV says it a little cleaner. It says, I pray that you can actually know God better having your heart's uh, enlightened. So this, this idea of because you have already had your heart enlightened, I pray that now you can know him better. Now, what does that mean? It means that at some point in the past, something happened to you. That action has a continuing power in the present. And so most commentators believe that as a reference to the Ephesians baptisms, you had your hearts enlightened that great day. You woke up, your heart woke up that day of baptism and said, you know what? I'm turning myself in. I've tried to live this way. It's not going to work. I've just hurt everybody around me. I th- I, you know what? I'm turning myself in. I'm going to follow Jesus, having my heart been enlightened. But you know what the beautiful thing is, is that it's not over at that point. Thank goodness you were baptized. Now let's all just wait for us to die. That's not what the Bible is about. Thank goodness you're saved. Go back to, uh, you know, rolling around in the mud with all the other pigs. This is not what, it, this is not what Christianity is ever supposed to have been. Yeah. We talked about this a lot the last few weeks, but a conversion-centered gospel versus a discipleship-centered gospel. Yeah. So we're going to focus in on the idea of heart today. Okay. The eyes of your heart having been enlightened. How do we continue to have those eyes of our heart enlightened, basically woken up, okay, to the reality of what we're, what we're doing? Because the point of this as you see at the very end, is that Christ has been made head of the body of Christ, his body, the church, which is us. And so the only way that we can know our role in this world is to first know our role in and of ourselves, in our own hearts. Um, you know, be the change you want to see in the world, right, is this, this idea. And in fact, even it's probably not so bad to, to reference Dr. King as it is Black History Month, that Dr. King's great speech uh, was, I, I you know, hope and pray that one day, our children won't be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Character is just another way of saying their heart. Character, uh, integrity, someone's heart. Someone, and there's actually a great quote about the heart by a guy named William Law. It says, the heart is the seat of all love and all hatred. It knows or perceives, it understands, it deliberates, it reflects, it estimates. The heart is set or directed, it is turned away from or inclined toward. Things can be written on the heart. One knows in his heart 
if he is conscious to himself. The heart is the storehouse of all that is heard and experienced. Because it is the birthplace of thoughts, the heart, moreover, is the birthplace of words. Words are brought forth from the heart. And so we see that the content of one's character actually has a lot to do with the content of one's heart. And what, the, what someone says uh, has to do with what's coming out. Uh, overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So the title of my lesson today is Knowing in Your Bones. You got to know this thing in your bones. You know, uh, this passage has a lot to do with this idea of knowing God better. Our world and your, your education, or my education as well, devalues certain types of knowledge and exalts other types of knowledge. Things you can measure and experience and things in a laboratory, we value those types of knowledge. But we, or we're taught to devalue other types of knowledge, like faith, hope, and love. Those things are not important or, you know, we, those are kind of fuzzy, so let's just not even deal with them. Love is love, whatever that means. Uh, hope is hope, whatever that means. Faith is faith, everything is, we, we kind of, we've been taught to kind of devalue those. But, but if you ask somebody walking out of a, of a concert, maybe of an orchestra concert, or if they've heard a beautiful piece of music and you ask them to try to explain what they just went through, a lot of, it's, it's amazing how quickly words fall short. Like it was, it was, I, it was amazing. I was, and they can't even explain it. Or someone who's just gone maybe to Estes Park, Colorado and, and seen those beautiful Rocky Mountains. Or someone who's gone to Shenandoah National Park and seen that creation, those rolling hills. Or someone who's seen uh, North Dakota or the Pacific Northwest and seen those redwood trees in, in, in Washington, right? And, and in Northern California. It's, it's, how did it go? It was, uh, it was, uh, uh, I mean, you can't even explain it. But you experience something very real and powerful. And so in a lot of ways, uh, an experience, uh, an intimate experience can be just as truthful. And you can know that to an extent, to an even deeper extent than perhaps knowledge or intellect. Because in a lot of ways, you will actually die for someone you love, but you won't die for something you know. So love is actually in a lot of ways a deeper truth and a deeper sense of, of relationship. But a lot of times... When we come to Jesus, we just approach it with, well, what does it say? What can I do? Oh, cool point. What's your cool point? That's a cool point. Let's go home. And our lives don't change because we've just kind of sequestered God into this little compartment of our heart where he can kind of enjoy God, enjoy your little three by four cubicle, but the rest of my emotions go to things I want. And God doesn't get our emotions. And this is a difficult thing for me because I'm not Mr. Emotional, right? Um, you know, and I married someone who, who, who is, so praise God for marriage and, uh, and, and, and growing in our weaknesses. But to know something in your bones, there are people who cannot for the to save their lives. They cannot explain their explicit theological framework, but they go out into the community every day and they do things they know in their bones that Jesus would do. Yeah. And they love and they forgive and they work with drug addicts and they, and, they, and they work with the lost people that are lost in their faith and they help repair marriages and they pray for people. I mean, there is something very true and real about experience in relationship. And I think when we talk about having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, I wonder how is our relationship with God? And it's something that we so can easily neglect. And I want to talk about this morning, why is it something that we can easily neglect? Because what happens is if, we, if God doesn't get our hearts, it turns out he doesn't get quite a bit of us. And then we just, we just end up being these Christians that, that, that are, you know, un, we get, we're baptized non-Christians or non-disciples. We've gone through this ritual but have we really changed? And isn't that what it's about at the end of the day? 
change. Um, you can find different things that happen in different places, but isn't that what the world needs right now? Is a little bit of, hey, follow, look at my example. Uh, we have a wealth of opinions. Go on Twitter or Facebook and share your opinion. See if that helps anybody, by the way. But to actually get to know somebody, get to know their life, share with them what, you, what you've gone through, that is what the world needs. And so it turns out opinions don't actually change anybody's mind. More information doesn't often change people's minds. It's an experience, right, that change people's minds. We've got to know in our bones. And this is not a wishful thinking, by the way. Just, okay, just think. No, don't just think, 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 force, force, force. This is not what it's about. It's an actual two-way experiential relationship with your God. It's not just, it's not just, oh, let me just, but it's actually going to, but how do we do that, right? To get to know God better. Spiritual formation, spiritual growth is simply the development of a heart for God. That's all we're talking about. You know, the world has no answer for evil. Um, over the last 50 years, this has been greatly discouraging to us as humanity. We came out of the Second World War and we thought, you know what we need? Look at all that, all that, all those killing, all that death. You know what it was? You know what the problem was? It was the dogmatism of the Nazis. It was the, the closed-mindedness of communism. It, we just need to let everybody do whatever they want and, and have a wealth of knowledge. And you know what we'll do? We'll have more schools, more education. We'll have uh, uh, everyone will have more money. People, every, everyone can just have sewers and plumbing, and everyone can have more stuff, more access to education. Uh, we'll kind of just kick evil out of here by by, by being great humans. But I think we've realized that uh, the problems of evil are more intractable than that. We can't just, uh, we can't just do, and I think we're, we're actually greatly uh, alarmed. I think a lot of people are angry at how it sort of didn't work. <laughs> like it's, it is not working, uh, by the way. People just having more stuff doesn't deal with the problem of evil. And as the world has more education, all those things aren't bad, going to serve the poor and love the poor. And you know what I mean? But it does not deal with the problem of evil, right? In, in and of itself. And the world is realizing this. Um, and as we talk about enlightening, the, having our, the eyes of our heart enlightened, okay, think about that. For, all, for those of you who have been converted, and I'm not talking about I was baptized when I was four. I'm talking about you've been converted, okay? You used to live for yourself. You made a decision at some point to put your faith in Christ. You repented. And you were baptized. I'm talking about that. Uh, a great friend of mine, who's not really my friend, but I say that sometimes about authors that I like, but a good friend of mine, um, <laughs> he said... He, said, I, he says, I like to ask people when they were converted. And if they can't tell me when, I ask, how can you go through a conversion of the Holy Spirit and God and fire and not know when it happened? You're telling me you experienced that and didn't know when it happened? You ain't converted. So here we go. If you've gone through that experience, remember it. What was so helpful to you in that time? For most of us, it was repentance. It was people in our lives giving us boots on the ground, practical advice. Hey, you got to quit smoking. Hand, hand over the pack right now. Hand it over. People go, I don't know why I did so well when I was baptized and now I'm, I'm struggling. Because you had four people who grabbed you by the collar every week and said, stop it. <laughs> That's why you did so well. And now you're like, why am I struggling? Repentance. I mean, boots on the ground, practical advice. Help me. You know, sometimes the only practical advice we ever get is how to have a quiet time. That is not enough no. to, to navigate this life. To get to, so we have to get to know God better. And we get to know God better by remembering what happened at first with our, when our, our hearts were woken up. And our hearts were woken up because a lot of, in a lot of ways, we helped each other. 
and we called and we texted and we said, can I come over and can I help? And hey, give me the, give me the PS4. I'm taking it with me. You're not playing this for a while because you're addicted to it. Give me your phone. We're putting a block on it. Give me the, get rid of that number from that boy because he ain't helping. Hell, and there's, there's a, there is a, there's a, in, that's what helps people is that, that, that relationship and that repentance. And then we kind of just back off. And we go, I don't feel like I love God. I don't know why I love. And we, and we do that thing that we, that, that we do as young people. We go, I just, I'm going to wait for my heart to love God on its own. <laughs> Get out of here. Get out of here. Right? The only thing your heart is going to do is, is things for self. Things that you've always done. Things you've wanted to do. Things that benefit you. Which is why Jesus, more than anything else in his gospel, he said, deny yourself. This is a revolutionary thing. And they're going to kill us for it, by the way. They're going to crucify most of us for this one idea. Deny yourself. But it is a a gospel that will take the rest of our lives to pursue. It simply begins that day of conversion, that day of baptism. In fact, in the Bible, a lot of times when people are struggling, Paul often reminds them of their day of baptism. Romans 6, he says, what are you doing? Don't you remember that we got to go to heaven one day? No, he doesn't say that. He says, what are you doing? Don't you remember that you were baptized? You were born again. This is not you. This is not the person that God sees you as or wants you to be. And praise God that he does love us at our baptism, but he ain't going to leave us the way we are. And praise him for that. And so God does love us. He accepts us, but he's not going to leave us in that same state. This past action with continuing effect from this word. Let's see, keep going. Oh, I think sometimes... I think sometimes, too, we can kind of succumb to a watered-down version of transformation. It happens a lot when you, and even when you study the Bible with somebody, especially a Bible study about sin, and you read that list of sins from Mark 7, and, you know, it mentions murder, adultery, and theft. And I think a lot of times we can think, wow, I've been freed from murder, adultery, and theft. Some of us have been freed from murder, and maybe not. But we can think, oh, I I don't commit adultery anymore. I've been transformed. We have such a limited view. Like, that's what you think this is? Not having sex with somebody else? And this is what you think? Not killing somebody? That's what you think the, the transformed life of a Christian is? You've settled. You have settled. It is sad that that's all you think it is. And for a lot of us, that's radical enough at first. But my goodness, that's just the first step. We continue on to, to live a life that actually looks like Jesus. And we can't do that without surrendering the part of us from where sin comes. Mark 7, Jesus says, sin doesn't come from unwashed hands. Sin doesn't come from your circumstances. Sin won't go away. When you get, finally get married or finally are not married or finally are dating or finally are not dating or finally have a job or finally don't have a job, the circumstances do not, are not where sin comes from. Sin comes from the heart. It is an ownership that Jesus wants us to understand. We've got to own our sin. The first step of any 12-step program, admit you have a problem. They stole that from Jesus. Admit you cannot come to Jesus if you think you're good. You guys say, I need help. I got a problem. Every 12-step program is stolen from that. And hey, 12-step programs are really effective, by the way, because they actually take repentance. I think a lot of us should actually go through 12-step programs. I think sometimes we go through one step. Admit you have a problem. You do get baptized. All right, see you. And we don't. But the 12-step program actually is a process and actually helps us understand that we're not just trying, but we're actually training in what it means to be a disciple. I think one of the other problems is that we, we, we put our, our hearts in a pressure cooker. 
this artificial pressure cooker. The thing about growth is that it's two things, two things that you don't like at all. It is slow. Growth is slow. And that's difficult. Why? Because you go, I really want to grow. I really want to be different. I want to stop, you know, being so sarcastic and putting people down. I've been doing it for years. I just, everyone around me, I've just ruined every friendship, every relationship. I'm going to stop. And then realize after a few weeks, it's actually become kind of part of you. And you want friends to help and the friends to help you. But as you've hurt them too, and you realize this isn't going away so easy. And it's easy to go, well, I guess I should just give up or I should confess to somebody else. You know, hey, you confession hop, you know, so no, so no one gets the real you. And then out of insecurity and fear, we put our hearts in this pressure cooker. Who ever said that you're going to repent in a second, like in a day? Like some of these things take time. God is not about like, hey, you need to stop sinning now. You know, there's there's a there's a difference. And I'm going to get to that difference. There's a a slight uh, important um, distinction to be made there. But it's more about the inclination of the heart. I incline my heart toward God, not about I'm now suddenly perfect. And we have this, this pressure cooker, this spiritual growth is slow. We don't like that. And it's urgent. We think because it's slow, we can put it off. Oh, I'll just try. How's you reading your Bible? I'm trying. Didn't read it all. How's praying? Trying. How's fasting? How's meditation? How's evangelism? You had been in a Bible study in the last year with a seeker? Trying. And, and, and then, but then we, we, we put it off. We put it off. We put it off. You know, spiritual growth is slow, but it's also urgent, which means it cannot, we cannot afford to put this thing off. We cannot afford to put this thing off. Just, I'm getting this artificial pressure cooker that is really just a pressure cooker of our own pride and our own fear. And uh, there's a great quote from a book that says, the hurried and impatient life is full of pride and fear of failure. Pride because it demands success that others will notice. Fear of failure because it is rooted in the restlessness of an unsatisfied soul. We're afraid of, we, I want to grow in this area, but we realize uh, it's not enough. That you, we put these expectations on ourselves. Because we live in a society that is all about results, 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 bottom line, bottom line, bottom line, grades, 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 money, money, money. What'd you do this year? What'd you do for me lately? That's our whole life, right? So we apply that to Jesus and we take that into our sphere with God. And then, then what happens, we do this, right? We take that heart and because of, Maybe how we're, we're insecure about people. Man, why is, why is Drew still addicted to you know, pornography? Man, I, it's, why, and I can think, oh, people are judging me or people are mad at me. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to tell anyone. <clears throat> well, why are people still judging me? I, I, I'm, still, you know, I'm, I'm still gossiping, but I know people are, I'm still lazy. Or I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't been reading. I've been really struggling to read my Bible, so I just gave up. So I, don't, I stopped telling people. Mm-hmm. And so we take our heart and we hide it right. from people and from God. And then we have two lives. There we go. There's the problem, right? We have two lives. The life at church and the life at home. The life, uh, even of like attending, maybe I was hungry and serving the poor, and then the life and how you talk to your kids. And then the life maybe of you when you go, okay, now's prayer time, I'm going to pray, and then the life of what you do on your computer. And we have these two distinct lives, and we just get better at kind of reinforcing that hypocrisy. Uh, The reason people, this is William Law again, the reason people continue to, he chose cussing, for instance. The reason people continue to cuss, law believed, is that they never fully intend not to. Their, heart, their heart's intent is to hold back, to reserve a part of their lives that they could continue to control. It is very common that we find ourselves in a constant negotiation with God wow. about who is in charge. <laughs> but a holy and devout life calls for surrender, not negotiation. 
And there's a part of this that uh, Dietrich uh, Bonhoeffer said, if any gospel preached in Christianity doesn't end in obedience, kick that thing out of the church because it will destroy your church faster than you can say anything else. It was antithetical to what Jesus did on the cross. And so we get to a place where it is just all about, we got to get to a place of obedience. You cannot rely on your emotions. Stop it. I tell people that. I'd say this a lot. And I learned this from Phil Booker, by the way, because I remember confessing to Phil Booker and he was like, so what are you doing? And I was like, well, I've tried this, 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 and this. Uh, And he goes, how's it been? I'm like, it's been not not so good, but I'm going to keep trying those things. He goes, stop trying those things. They are not working. Do something different. And in my pride, I was like, but it's kind of like, also like, that's kind of a good point. Like, but we can think that. I'm just going to keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. No, stop it. Whatever you've been doing ain't working. Trying to read your Bible on your own is not working. Ask for help. Say, obey. Just do it. Just try it. Say, hey, brother, can you text me? Can you call me? We need each other's help, right? We need that collective unity to, to help each other get to those places because otherwise we, we can have those two lives and we stop talking about it and then it just only gets worse from there. It's the same with bacteria. Bacteria grows in dark environments, right? It just gets worse. You take food, you stick it dark and hot, you know, it's just gonna get worse. So I have refrigerators. There's a light in there, ding, and it's cold, right? It's like, I don't know if the, how the cold works, but the light part, you keep it in the cold, the bacteria stops spreading. This analogy fell apart about 10 seconds ago. But the idea is, is that, was anybody still, no, I lost the whole group there. There was a refrigerator at some point and uh, there was a light and he said, ding, I don't know. Um, just gotta keep going. It's training, not trying, keep going. The sermon needs to end at some point, finish it. But our hearts can be our very own pressure cooker. Nobody's putting those expectations on you. But we put those expectations on ourselves, right, sometimes. And we have these two different lives. Why do so many disciples struggle to follow the teachings they believe? Because it's our common life. Our, our, our separate life remains untouched. And this is the area where we have to bring God in. Driving to work. We, we can know the right thing, but is God touching our daily commute? We can know, oh, I know what to believe. My doctrine is, my doctrine is, we can write a book on our doctrine. But the way we talk to our wife the way we, we treat our coworkers, if we have people that work under us at our job, how we treat our subordinates, our employees, um, uh, our, our anger, those are the areas, right? Those are the areas that remain untouched. And I want to encourage us as a church, you might feel right now like, oh no, but it's been a problem for so long. We are all beginners at spiritual transformation. We are all beginners. None of us have, oh, I'm, no, we're all, I, I encourage us that we all pursue it. And maybe you haven't had that conversion experience. Amen. Jesus is waiting for you right now. Go have a Bible study. Talk about it. We're not perfect here. We don't have it all together. We're all beginners at this. And so don't feel, don't feel like, oh, but it's not going to be. No, no, just begin the conversation. It is not about trying. It is about training. And if we stop saying I'm trying to, no, I'm training in my prayer. Totally different sentence, isn't it? I've been training in prayer recently versus now I'm trying to, I've just been trying for, to pray and, I'm training it. I'm going outside. I'm staying inside. I'm going in the closet. I tried the kitchen. I've been praying with people. I've been praying alone. I've been praying in this way, that way. I've been praying through the Psalms. I've been training in it. And that's a forward progress. That's a forward way of thinking. And it is so far from being impossible now that if we can find any Christians that sincerely intend to please God in all of their actions as the best and happiest thing in the world, whether they be young 
or old, single or married, men or women, if they have but this intention, it will be impossible for them to do otherwise. This one principle will infallibly carry them to this height of love and they will themselves be unable to stop short of it. I wanna encourage you this morning. It is simply the decision to intend to please God with all your heart. William Law says, if you, you cannot fail. If you want this, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Help me, I'll do it. If you have this desire, you cannot fall short. It is simply to take that heart of yours and incline it toward Jesus. And this is an exciting thing because one day we actually will be transformed. We will be different. I didn't think it was impossible. I, I didn't think it was possible to actually be different. You know how you're young and you think you figure everything out. Uh, I was there as a young man. I was baptized at 14, but I remember even thinking as a young man, like, oh, this is just who I am the rest of my life. I'm just going to be arrogant, sarcastic, addicted to sex, sexual impurity, and just do what I want and be single and just live for myself. And, you know, I'm a very impulsive guy. I struggled a lot with drinking as much as I wanted, having as much food as I wanted, gambling, all these things that were very impulsive, kind of of the flesh. I remember thinking, that's just who I am. It's just who I am. But it's amazing as I get older, I actually see God change my intentions. To get to a place where you don't actually want those things. And you don't think it's possible. You go, hold on, I actually don't want that? It's like, this used to be like my best case scenario for sinning. Like people are gone, no one knows, I can hide it. Oh, baby, this was the trifecta of like hiding my sin. But now it's like, wait, those things are gone and I actually don't want to? That is the goal for all of us. For our intention is not sincere until we believe that pleasing God is the happiest thing about being human. And that we are not missing out on anything when we abstain from sin and pursue pleasing God. A man has won over his lust when he believes that he is not missing anything of value by not lusting. We stop lying when we don't miss the advantages or the benefits of lying. That that is the hope. To not actually be like, oh, I'm not lying. I wish I was lying because there were so many benefits. I actually don't want to lie. I'd actually rather be honest. And to know that that is actually not only possible, but guaranteed in a life where we give God our whole heart. And here it is. You know how easy it is then to share your faith? It is the worst trying to share your faith if your heart is just, you feel like I'm a hypocrite, I'm guilty, I got nothing, I'm, I'm gonna go share because I have to. But when you're actually just bump into somebody or get to know somebody, and are they your neighbor, or they go, man, what's, what's up with you? You are constantly talking about this, or you've changed, or I've noticed this change in you. That is the gospel. I mentioned this quote last week. St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. People need to see a change. I've been sitting down with, with, uh, on, on campus with students at UVA. It's amazing how they know the right answers almost every time. But I'm going, but are you doing this? And they go, no, but no one can really do this. And I go, yes, they can. And you can too. And they, their eyes light up. They go, I, I can too. And it's something, it's like, it's not like a new, it's just, it's not that they need to know more. It's an experience with Jesus. And it's not a perfection, but it is a, a closely intimate two-way experiential relationship with God that will transform our city if the people in this room will simply give their hearts to God. It is a simple, simple measure. The obedient heart. Faith is only real in obedience. If faith is only pondering what God said, it is not faith. That is the blunt end of all theories about spiritual formation. 
If they don't lead to obedience, they are worse than the rejection of Christ. They are delusionary because they teach those who seek to obey that obedience is complex and optional. Close out here. What did I just do? Something cool? Let's close out with this. Rather, train yourself to be godly or train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value, has value in every way. I love this idea. I was just talking to a young man before I came up here about working out and different things. And you got to try this and try that. And you got to make sure you do it right because you might get hurt. And you got to do this and you got to do that. That, 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 that. that physical value actually has some training. The Bible says that you should work out. Amen. Okay. It actually has some value, but godly training has value in all things. We got to stop talking about trying and tar- start talking about training. And in 1 Peter 3, this is a, uh, before we read that real quick, if you want to turn over there too, the font's a little small. So 1 Peter 3, um, verse 18. But if you are discouraged this morning or nervous that you can't commit to such a long engagement, I don't know if I can give, my, I, 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 Drew, I want success now. We have to let go of that and that any kind of success uh, in scripture has to be success in that we know Jesus more. And it is a lifelong pursuit because the reality is, is you may think you've conquered how to be a campus student and be faithful, but then guess what? You leave campus and there's a whole different ball game. You go to singles and you go, this is different. You go from singles to marriage. You go from marriage to empty nesters. Empty nesters. This is different. Kids are gone. Like every season of life needs Jesus. And we need each other to help each other in those transitions and seasons of life. No matter what you're doing, but to encourage you is that we, we can only do what we see in our master. And that patience, encouragement, confidence, perseverance. Did I do it wrong? Yeah, I did. Sorry. First Peter three says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As Paul writes this verse, for Paul, the crucifixion was all about weakness and the atonement of sin. But for Paul, resurrection was about power and the life we live now. And that resurrection is what he's talking about here in in Ephesians 1. He says that power that you have is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And that power is the one that raised us from the dead. That just as Jesus was put into the ground and raised on the third day to a new life, those of us who went through the waters of baptism, crucified our sin, Went, to, went into the water, really only contributed one thing, and that is the pledge of a good conscience. Yeah. In, a couple, in an hour, less than an hour, Brandon's going to say, Jesus is Lord. Amen. And it's going to be coming from a heart that is not perfect. Right. His family can probably say, he ain't perfect yet. You know, a lot of us, none of us are perfect, but it is a heart that's not perfect, but a heart that is inclined toward God. Yeah. A heart that says, I pledge this good conscience that I will pursue this the rest of my life. Pursue this transformation from here on out. And it is from that that we are able to actually transform the world. Martin Luther, uh, not Dr. King, but the other Martin Luther, uh, uh, the first one. Martin Luther said, 
Martin Luther said, when times are dark and I've lost all hope in the world, I remember that I was baptized. And I pray that for us, our baptism can be that same gift to remember that we have something special in this world and that we actually will be able to help each other as a bunch of transformed hearts that that truth that we will know in our bones will actually lead us out of this room, out into that world, into our respective cards, cars, not cards, into our cars to be able to go to a community with transformed lives. And that we cannot help but go to the mission to help the poor, help the drug addicts, be able to be with those who are lost and don't know Jesus, to help broken marriages, to help those kids at school who are going after every kind of conceivable sin to be able to feel like life is something. To be able to go, that, that is the purpose that we can go out there and change the world. But it begins by giving our hearts to God. The world has no answer for evil, but thank goodness that Jesus does. And it begins with inclining our hearts toward God and helping others do the same. Amen, and to God be the glory.